Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Well, we're back. Another Sunday. Again, it's great to see all of you. Uh, if you weren't here in the beginning, my name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an interesting week. How was your guys' week? Perfect. Uh, perfect. That was my dad, I think. We got to talk later, man. Um, yeah, so uh, excited to bring you uh, another message in a series that we're calling Supreme. And uh, I would love to take some time on the front end of this message to kind of review, just in case you missed anything. Uh, this will help uh, get uh, in your hearts and in your minds what we've been talking about. It puts everybody on the same page, hopefully. Uh, you can also go back and watch uh, those past messages on YouTube or Vimeo, whatever your preference is. Uh, but I figured we'd do a little review, and um, in honor of uh, the kids uh, being out of school recently and g- taking all their final exams and all that kind of thing, I thought we would do a test or a quiz. Are we good with that, everybody? Just going to keep our, keep our, and someone says, no, we're not doing that. All right. Well, we're going to see how well you do as we review where we've been uh, in this series. So I'm going to throw up a question. I'm going to give you a few uh, seconds to think about it. Don't shout out your answers. Keep scoring your head and then brag about who gets the best score at the end, okay? After a minute, after a couple seconds, we'll throw up the answer. Here we go. I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. Uh, so we're talking about a book in the Bible, and we talked about a little bit about what the Bible is. And so how many books are in the Bible? 46, 56, 66, or 76? Think about it. Think about it. And the answer is 66. Give yourself a pat on the back if you got that. Good job. Okay, question number two. The book of Colossians, that's what we're going through right now, is in the New Testament. Now remember, the Bible is broken up into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, The Bible has, uh, the Old Testament has how many books? Does anybody remember? 39. And the New Testament has? 27. You got it. Okay, so is Colossians in the Old Testament or the New Testament? The answer is the New Testament. It is true. All right. Third, everybody's favorite kind of question, short answer. The book of Colossians was written by who? And the answer is... Paul, the Apostle Paul, that is right. Uh, And I've said over and over again, if anybody asks you who wrote that book in the New Testament, just say Paul. 50% of the time, you're going to have it right. Okay, Uh, let's see. Uh, So there's a couple major themes in Colossians. Oh, I'm skipping ahead. Uh, True or false, another true or false. The city of Colossae was a large and influential city. Keep it to yourself for a minute. True or false, the city of Colossae was large and influential And the answer is false. That's right. Good job paying attention, but that's great. Oh, no. That's my mistake. My bad. I made my slide wrong. It's false. I was testing you. Yep. Yep. Uh, 
yes, false. It was kind of a nothing city. It's actually modern-day Turkey. Okay, so that's where the part of the world we're talking about. It's kind of a nothing city. It's not known for much. Oh, extra credit. What was it known for? Yes, the production of black wool. Um, so I kind of compared it to, to East Hampton because uh, it was about, well, come on. We're known for our bells, right? And it's this kind of small, nothing town, about 100 miles away from New York. And Colossae was about 100 miles away from Ephesus, which was the huge, big metropolitan area at the time. All right, let's keep moving. You guys are a tough crowd. Uh, Question number five, short answer. The first major theme in Colossians is Jesus is... Ooh, I heard someone whisper it. The answer is... Supreme. That's right. Our theme verse, Colossians 1.18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus above all things. We'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. Uh, next question. You guys are do, hopefully doing good so far. Second major theme in Colossians, multiple choice for all of you who need it. Here it is. What is it? Living in Christ, joy in Christ, loving like Christ, or maturity in Christ. Think about it for a second. Our second major theme that we've been talking through. And the answer is, Tom... Maturity in Christ. That's right. Um, then we took, I took that verse. He's the one we proclaim, Jesus again. Admonishing, keyword through this whole series, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The idea is we can't stay where we were. We've got to grow up. And there are some things that we have to do to kind of fully develop into what Christ wants us to be. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little bit today and next week as we wrap up. All right. uh, Slide. um, Question number seven. Uh, Which ideology, religion, philosophy doesn't belong in the list? And so let me set this up. There is a bunch of... um, uh, religions and philosophies, philosophies of the day. And we talked a little bit about some of them. One of these does not, we did not talk about, it does not belong on the list, is asceticism, Gnosticism, Judaism, Confucianism, astrology, or pluralism? And the answer is Confucianism. We did not talk about that. That was not one of the, uh, at least as far as I know, something that was happening in that day, in that time, in that place. Uh, so good. Some of you were paying attention there as well. Uh, last question. I mentioned three things uh, a couple weeks ago when we had our last uh, message in this series. Uh, three things that are unique to Christianity. Um, Which one, again, does not belong? So here we go. God did something for us. We don't have to do something for him. Uh, Number two, we have access to God through prayer. Three, Christianity is about relationship, not rules. Four, Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. What did I say? Which one does not belong? And the answer is... We have access to God through prayer. Of course we do, but that's not really unique to Christianity. The other three things are unique to Christianity, and that becomes really uh, important as we we go through our series today. And so we jump into part four today, week four, the sharing of Jesus. Give yourselves a hand. You did a great job. How many got 100%? Good job. I didn't. I can't even claim to have 100%. I put a wrong answer up there. What is, what is going on? So uh, here's a question for you. Why are you here today? 
I've asked this question just about every single week. But why are we here? I think it's a really, really interesting question. Like I said, I've been asking it the whole entire series. For me, it's, it's very intriguing. I'm fascinated with why people do what they do. Uh, maybe you're like me in that, in that way. As a, as a person has a, uh, some of a background in psychology, I just can't help myself. You know, it's that social psychologist thing. But even as a pastor, I find this question even more intriguing and more interesting. And as a person who calls himself a Christian, I find it a really, really important question for myself. Like, what am I doing here? Why am I spending my time here in this place? Why am I here? Is it because I feel like I should be here? Is it because I want to be here? Is it, is it to learn more about God? Is it, is it to see other people? Um, because I, I value my relationship with Jesus. What, what is it? I, I want to, again, ask it. You should all be, why, are you, why are you here? Why are you doing what you do? Why are you living your life the way you are living your life as a Christian? Now, now let's, there may be people who are not Christians. You would say, I am not there yet, Tom. Um, I, I, I am not in that place. So I would ask the same question of you. What, what, why are you here? What is drawing you uh, to this place? Maybe you were invited by a friend or a family member or neighbor or something. Uh, maybe you want to understand a little bit more about what they believe. Or maybe you're searching, you're seeking, you're trying to figure out for yourself like, like where you're at. You're curious. I don't know. But I have wanted us to all consider this question because here's why. It's my desire that everyone knows why they believe what they believe and why you do the things that you do. I think it's absolutely critical. Why are we making the choices we make? Why are we making the decisions that we make? Please don't come to church just because you think it's, because you should, like it's the other good thing that you could check off your list this week. It's like a checkbox of the good deed or positive thing that you did this week. Instead, I'm hopeful that we're striving to make movements toward things that matter in the world. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. We talked about our purpose. I believe everybody has significant purpose. Paul thought the same thing. That's why he was writing this book to this church. Now, I said he's writing to that people. It's not writing specifically to us. We've got to parse that out. We're definitely able to do that. We're intelligent enough to do that. We're going to make these comparisons. Maybe we weren't going through the exact same thing. We're not hearing the exact same things that they were hearing. But we certainly are in a culture of ideas as well. Philosophies, ideologies. At that time, the culture was priding itself on intellectualism and becoming spiritually enlightened by special knowledge. That, that, that was that Gnosticism piece. And so he writes this book of Colossians. He is trying to encourage them, and we're using that word admonish because there's a really significant meaning behind that word admonish. It means something's out of joint. So he's like, all right, listen up. You guys are doing good, but, but be careful. Listen up. Something's just a little bit off. But he wanted to ground them. He wanted them to be steadfast. He wanted them to know what they believed and why they believed that. And he says, don't get sidetracked with the other stuff. Jesus is supreme. He is above all things, everything in your life. Don't get sidetracked from that. Everything else is a distraction. Concentrate on Jesus and the life that he gives fully and freely. 
As I said, we're in the same place. We live in a, in a culture of ideas. And most of these ideas are non-Christian, and sometimes they're even anti-Christian. And maybe some of you are starting to get nervous. Before you assume that I am going to go to a place today that's a stereotypical like preacher man to rail against ideas, let me assure you that is not what I'm going to do, and that is not my goal. My heart is simply to share that we are here in this season and in this time for a purpose, and we do not need to be discouraged about what's going on in our culture. This is nothing new. This is nothing new. But we do need to be aware of the fact that we live in a unique time. Now, maybe more than ever, especially here in the United States, because we've said it's clearly, I believe, we're living in a culture that is post-Christian. What do you mean by that, Tom? Well, let me give you a couple statistics. In the most recent Barna poll, Barna is a, a research uh, company. Um, they specifically help churches, uh, but this was their recent poll. They said only 21% of people who aren't Christians have a, a positive view of the church. Only 21% of people who are not Christians have a positive view of the church. Only 50% of people... Trust pastors and priests. That means 50% of you don't like me <laughs> or don't trust me. Sobering. Of the people that do go to church, millennials, which they're categorized at age 22 to 36, are twice as likely as boomers, age 56 to 74, to think that their church was detached from the real issues facing their community. In other words, millennials are twice as likely to think that what we talk about and what we do here is not really pertinent to them, applicable to them. We, the church have an image problem. Now, to be fair, the data also showed that generally speaking, those who attend church regularly do really appreciate what the church does for them and for others. But when I say post-Christian, here's the fact. Most people are not just going to show up to church anymore. Most people do not have a positive view of the church, of church leadership. They might question God or even a sense of morality. This is just the culture we live in. And it's important that we're aware. And so the question I start out is, becomes very significant because I want to push us on this. Why are we here? And so we talked about a couple weeks ago, a lot of people will say, well, the problem with Christianity is, is it's too narrow. It feels very exclusive. And of course, we do not want to offend people that may believe differently or come from a different you know, religious background or a different religious culture. And so one of the common defaults to thinking is that we as a culture have said, well, there's, there's lots of ways to God. There's lots of ways to believe about God. That's what we call pluralism. We talked a little bit about that. And as long as, again, the, the people aren't hurting each other and they're doing good for others, then, then isn't, that, isn't that good, Tom? And yet I'm going to assert again that it's possible that that might even be, possible that might even be a little bit more intolerant view than we think. 
Because now we're lumping in all these different religions and all their unique views about God, their structures to God, their paths to God, and kind of lumping them together, which doesn't do anyone justice. It doesn't serve any religion well. And so I left us with a question last time. It says, so how do we move forward then? How do we walk forward that with open-mindedness and tolerance while being loving and humble and holding firm to the doctrine and the beliefs that we have? How do we walk forward in wisdom and in thoughtfulness? And I'm just going to say to you today, every person in this room, We need to live in that tension. We need to walk in that tension. Tension is a very interesting word. Every definition I looked up about tension had a word associated with it, and that word was stress. In other words, by the time you leave today, I'm going to stress you all out (laughs) because we're going to walk in the tension. No, seriously, uh, I, I don't have time to go into the story of it, but about a year ago, actually about 10 months ago, uh, I was playing softball and had one of the worst injuries of my sports life. Again, I will not go into the details. I was uh, running in the outfield. I stepped on a ball. It, my foot turned over. It was like the slow motion thing. I heard the snap, and fortunately, fast forwarding through, I did not break my ankle, but I severely sprained it. And so I ended up being in a boot for a, about a month. And so when I went to physical therapy, uh, I was shocked at how much strength I lost. And so what did the physical therapist do? They started with tension bands, right? And I had to do all of these exercises, kind of wrap them around my foot, do these, you know, small movements. And what would do? They would increase the tension. Basically, every time I go, they use different color bands. And that's how I was able to get my ankle back to somewhat normal again. You see, we don't love tension, but actually, in the end, we need to work through it because we become healthier because of it. Most of us like to avoid tension. But in the long run, it's really the only way through. Our church people, we don't like tension very much. In fact, I think church people hate tension. We love black and white answers. I mean, it's so much easier that way. And I think for many years, and I'm going to share my heart with you this morning, so just bear with me. I think for many years, the tragedy of the church, in my opinion, is that it tried to avoid tension at pretty much all costs. And so now what happens is it gave these black and white answers because it was easier and it felt like the right thing to do at the time. And at the same time, I think it contributed to a generation of people who have grown up with immense amounts of guilt I think it has led to highly legalistic religion. And what I mean by that is that we've kind of added to this thing to be a Christian. Or sometimes if you don't do certain things, how can you possibly be a Christian? It's ultimately led generations of believers to a place of confusion. Because pastors and teachers and leaders were uncomfortable with the wrestle. They were uncomfortable with the tension. And it became a barrier. We didn't push through it. And if I haven't been clear before, let me be crystal clear today. Hope Church is going to be a place where it's okay to wrestle in the tension. It's okay. 
We're going to allow for tension. We're going to allow for gray. By the way, our other teaching pastor, Kerry, has written a great book called Gray Faith. Pick it up. It talks a little bit about this. Why do you feel so strongly about this, Tom? Well, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I think when it comes to faith and when it comes to Jesus, there's a lot of gray and there's a lot of wrestling that we all need to do. And here's what's crazy. If we talk about Jesus, the truth of the matter is he drove religious church people crazy. Do you realize that? He drove church people crazy. You say, Tom, really? Well, as I've been encouraging you, read it and you tell me if you come away with something different. But as I read my Bible, I see it all the time. Seriously, think about it. When Jesus is asked a question, when somebody's wrestling with this really important thing, they're looking for that answer. What does Jesus do most of the time? He tells them a story. Jesus, what do you think about that? Well, there's this man who took a walk in a field. Right? Or, or he did this, or, or he did this. Um, Jesus, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Who, who do you say that I am? It was brilliant. And it's what I love about Jesus. He was not afraid to walk in the tension. He was a brilliant people person and he was revolutionary. There was never anyone like him. There will never ever be anyone like him again. Why? Because he was deity. He was fully God and at the same time fully man. He felt what we felt. He was unique and many loved him for it. But guess what? Many hated him for it as well. He drove them crazy. And here we go. Post-Jesus time, we have the Apostle Paul, one of the early bedrocks of the church. And he says, wrestle in the tension. I, I don't put it up on the screen here, but listen. Just, just listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He, this is what Paul says. A person who has sold himself out for Jesus. He says, I put up with anything rather than hinder, hinder the gospel of Christ. He goes on. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. Why? I do this for the gospel, he says. Listen, as we try to live out our faith, there is always going to be tension. Don't run from it. Don't overcompensate for it. Embrace it and work within it. And I think this is what Paul is talking about in this book of Colossians. I want to read our key verse for today. It's Colossians chapter 4, uh, uh, verses 5 and 6. And he says this. It'll be on the screen. 
Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes today. What does he mean by that? There's another uh, version of the Bible that says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt. That's what the NIV says. The word picture to me is striking. Because as I think about the church and as I think about Christians, are we really gracious and attractive in the way we live our lives? Don't answer me too quickly. Because 80% of the people outside the church would say, I don't think so. Are we really gracious and attractive in the way we live our lives. First Peter 3.15 mentions two other words. He says, gentleness and respect. I want you to go to your Facebook feed. I don't care if you go right now. And I want you to count how many gentle responses there are. <laughs> how many attractive responses there are to that issue. I, I, I got, this is not, I'm just going to go off on a... 30-second thing. I was telling someone today, I was, I wrestled with this message all week because I know there's going to be tension, right? And then I got on Facebook last night, which is a stupid thing to do. And I'm in a, and I'm in a group of a bunch of church leaders and worship leaders and things, and I could not believe the conversation that was happening within church leadership about some of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my entire I could not believe it. And it and, and honestly, I was sad. We have lost our graciousness and attractiveness and our gentleness and respect. And I would propose that one of the main reasons why people view the church negatively is that because we've been severely deficient in this area for too long. And what I would like to do is just admonish us today. I want you to examine your own heart. How have you been doing with this? How gracious have you been? How gentle have you been in your approach? Here's my big idea today. It's maturity in Christ requires, requires that we are gracious and attractive in the way we live our lives. You know, when we are deficient in something, we need to add something. Right, So um, uh, a few weeks ago, I had a blood test because they were thinking about, hey, maybe you're iron deficient. Let's go test that out and go see. So I went, I got my blood drawn, I was not. But if they, if they found that, I'm assuming they would have given me pills or something or injections to bring up the iron in my body, right? Because I was deficient. I needed to add something. And so today, as we think about what it means to be to live in this gracious and attractive way as followers of Jesus, the supreme one, the one who is above all and through all and in all, I think we need to add a few things. And this is going to be my encouragement for all of you today. And again, one of the problems with lists is that I know everybody in here probably has something different on their list. I'm okay with that. I'm going to walk in that tension today because I am just going to give you three things that come to my mind when I think about Paul's words. 
as he's encouraging this church that was in the middle of a cultural, you know, conundrum, as we are as well, and as it has been in every generation, where there's lots of different ideologies, lots of different philosophies, lots of different religions. How do you know and how do you walk in that? And Paul says, whatever you do, make sure you walk graciously and attractively. So I would like to propose three things for us today as our takeaways. The first thing I would say to add to our deficiency is we need to listen more. Write it down if you're taking notes. Listen more. And here's the thing. I think all of us would probably shake our head and say, yeah, I agree with you, Tom. That's true. Yep, yep. But let me tell you something because I've seen it way too often and I know my own self. When push comes to shove and you can't take it anymore, you just can't help yourself and you have to say something. We feel like we always have to have the response. And a lot of times as people are talking to us, we're thinking of our response before we even let them get out their words, right? In conversations with others, especially those who believe differently than us, we need to start listening better. Listen with intentionality. Really hear what the person is saying. We do not need in that moment to be the truth police. Listening is an act of respect, and it communicates that you value the person. I would encourage you on your own time this this week to go back and read Proverbs chapter 18 if you're struggling with what I'm saying. Listen to what the author says about your words that you speak and the way that you listen to others. Listen, I think for far too long the church has been, well, our actions have spoken louder. Um, Our actions have, the words have spoken louder than our actions. And I think people see the disconnect. I would encourage us to listen more. Number two, I think we need to pray more. That sounds like the perfect church answer, doesn't it? Colossians chapter 4, verses 2, if you back up just a little bit, uh, Colossians 4, 2 through 4 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And that's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. As we enter into conversations with other people, being a prayerful spirit. You know that, you know that, know that word, pray without ceasing? That's really what it means, that we have to be, we have to have lives that are in constant communication with God, enough to know, to have you know, these boundaries in our conversations as we listen and as we go back and forth, that God, that his Holy Spirit would be in and through us, that we take advantage of the moments that we have, Prayer is huge. Make it a big enough part of your life that in any faith conversation you find yourself in, people would hear and see something that fully reflects the love and the grace of God. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to make you thoughtful as you speak. He goes goes further. Paul goes further in that passage. He says, praying for people in our lives is, is is praying for opportunities, right? That we would even have opportunities. Be in prayer about that. That's that's the work of a mature Christian. 
more listening, and more prayer, and finally, more humility. This is almost like the catch-all bucket for me. Humility. This was a constant theme in Paul's writing throughout Scripture. And as authority, as an authority in his church in that day, he's constantly admonishing people to walk in humility. And he's one to talk because he was constantly willing to give up more. We already read that passage. You know what? We talked about he wrote this book when he was in prison. He was giving up all the time. A sign of humility is saying, I might be wrong. We must be in that position as we share our faith and as we share what's so deeply meaningful for us. We do not have it all figured out. I might be wrong. I try to walk in that tension every single day. I realize, I, 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 again, I am not preaching against convictions, but be very, very careful about how you speak about those convictions as you share your life with others. Maturity in Christ requires that we are gracious and attractive in the way we live our lives. As I wrap up, there's something that has always amazed me about Jesus. It's something that always kind of confused me, and I never really, you know, as I was, um, you know, younger, never really thought much about it, but it really, something always triggered it, and it's, it's really interesting to me, because here we have this man who was, who was the most loving, the most kind, the most gentle. His way with people was unmatched. And here's what is true. He did miracles. Yet, not everyone followed him. Isn't that strike you? If, if he was that amazing, why didn't everyone just take up everything and just go and just follow? I mean, all that he did he wrecked, he came in, he wrecked societal norms. I mean, he elevated people who didn't have a place in the caste system of that day because really that's what it was. He elevated women more than any other person at that time had, particularly in that culture. He elevated children in that culture. He elevated those who were sick and hurting. And yet there always seemed... For a lot of people to have this disconnect. He was the way and the truth and the life. And yet, not everyone saw it. And here's what I'll say in the context of everything I'm talking about today. In a strange way, that comforts me. In a strange way, that comforts me. It, it, it takes all the weight off of me. It takes all the pressure off of me to feel like I have to have the right answer all the time. That I have to have the perfect way forward all the time. To think that I have to have all this wisdom and gain all this knowledge to craft the perfect argument or the response to the skeptic or the critic or whoever in my life. It takes weight off of me about people's perceptions, even about God 
in Christianity. Listen, God's been doing this for a long, long time. And he is sovereign. Do you hear me on that? He is sovereign. He knows all things. He is not scared of our culture. He's not scared of losing out in truth. Why? Because he is truth. And for me, I can say, God, listen, I'm going to do my best I can to follow you. That's why I'm coming here every week. I'm going to do my best. I see what so many people saw, but at the same time, I could also rest in the fact that I don't have to have it all figured out. And that, to me, puts me in a much better place as I think about connecting with my world in this culture and those around me. We'll talk about next steps. Each week we wanted to give people some, some next steps. And I'm going to give you a step today that I've said before. I, I want you to just open this up this week. Some of us, we just go too long without even knowing what God's heart is. We need to spend some time doing that. I said last time, another step, we just have to be okay and get intentionally in conversations with people who believe something different than us. Do it. Stop getting around church people all the time. Now, that's good. Trust me. If anyone knows me, you know how big I am into that. Like, like the life groups piece of what we do is so huge to me. But that can't be all we do. We need to be in conversations with people who don't believe like us. There's a reason why. Through all this, that the gospel, the good news, has survived generation after generation after generation. And we're going to find out why next week. So I hope that you will join us for that. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we are wrestling with the tension this morning. And I'm going to pray, before I pray anything else, God, that you would take the words that I say this morning and that you would sift out for every person in this room the things that they do not need to hear, the things that they do not need to take in and just take them from their minds and from their hearts. God, it is my desire to be faithful to your word and to faithful to the spirit of your word. But God, my heart breaks for the church. And I am so grateful that we have this time and this place and this season and this opportunity. And I would just pray for a change of heart for all of us. If we have not been thinking this way, that we would think in terms of we have opportunity in front of us. And may we take advantage of those opportunity with graciousness and attractiveness, with gentleness and with respect. Lord, for those in here who are searching, for those who really aren't sure about God or about the Bible, about Christianity, about the church, 
Lord, I just pray that you would continue to give them clarity on their journey. Lord, that hope church would be just a piece of that journey for them. God, that we would continually shine light on the things that we need to shine light on, and that's you, God. Get rid of all the other silliness that we can get caught up in, that we would shine a light on you, that we would truly make you supreme, Lord of everything in our lives, and that people would see that and say, I want that. I want that. If you're feeling that way this morning, just in your own heart and mind, just tell Jesus in your own words that that's what you're feeling. I, I want to know more. And I would ask you to take even another step. You could email me or Carrie or the church, take a picture of that guest connection card and say, I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. God, I pray for every heart in this room, even now, those who are followers of you and those who aren't, that you would protect our hearts, that you would help guide us into the truth, that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. Help them to know that their life has meaning and value and purpose. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.